Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we called this uh, message this morning, and there should be an insert in your bulletin on the uh, major lessons from the uh, passage of Scripture, the supernatural birth of Christ. Uh, in one sense, there was a natural birth, but in the broader sense, it was a supernatural birth. And uh, we we realize that there are a lot of people who, who don't do not understand the real meaning of Christmas. Um, it is a fun time of the year. It's a time for giving gifts. It's a time for family members to get together. Uh, it's a time to give gifts to those we know and love. And these are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But um, it, it's wonderful to know uh, why we celebrate Christmas, where it comes from. And, of course, we do this because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, looking at, um, it's interesting, when you look at a passage of Scripture, you can often ask yourself the question, well, what's the big idea? What's happening in this passage? Well, this is one of two passages which discusses the actual birth of Jesus Christ. And um, <clears throat> as you look at this in Matthew 1, uh, what's it, 18 through 25, uh, you see the sovereign hand of God <clears throat> working in the lives of many people, but especially in the lives of Joseph and Mary, and how he asked them to do certain things, and they were willing to do this. We'll be bringing this out in just a moment. But the interesting thing is the same God who was sovereignly working in their lives is working in our lives today. We who know him as Lord and Savior and he's doing things we do not always understand. I talked with someone before the service this morning who was talking about the fact that some events happened in their lives and family, and they didn't know why this would happen here. and this. But eventually they, they got to see how the Lord's just moving everything together and bringing the fam family actually closer together and in the will and plan of God. There is a reference, it's Philippians 2.13, where it says, It is God who is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And so, yeah, we can look at the text of Scripture and say, Oh, yeah, God really worked in Mary and Joseph's lives. But we need to realize that he's working in our lives too. And we need to understand that, uh, well, the word understand, we need to realize that we don't always understand and I mean this sincerely, the things that God allows in our lives and experience. Some things um, to us may be painful and hurtful, and uh, we, we don't know why. We, we, we wish sometimes some things could be out of our experience, but they're not. And then when we know the Lord is Savior, boy, it's awesome to know. He keeps working in our lives. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good purpose. And of course the sovereign purpose of God was to bring the Lord Jesus Christ here and as was mentioned earlier uh, he came as a babe grew up sinless life and then went to the cross for you and for me. And uh, we're going to mention this later. I think I want to mention it right now. We say well Christ came to die and he did. He came to die so that we might have forgiveness of sin. But you know, it's more than that. It's more than we can have forgiveness of our sins. That, that becomes a block between a person and God. But 
Jesus paid for our sins. We accept him. He forgives our sins. And then we have a relationship with our God. And, and that's why we're here this morning. Aren't we here to worship him? And then why we've come? For him. For his glory. And so you can enjoy God. You can enjoy your relationship with him because of Jesus coming. Well, we called it the supernatural birth of Christ. And um, someone said a number of years ago, it's the event that changed the calendar and still changes lives today. For those who put their faith in Christ, you know the verse, some of you. Uh, if any man be in Christ, if you, you have a relationship with Christ, you become a new creation. And God begins to work changes in your life when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. So we could say it's the event that changed the calendar, but still changes lives today. And uh, we do need to remember that the birth of Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. In fact, Jesus experienced the most unique birth of anyone who ever lived. His birth was prophesied. He was born to a virgin. The town of his birth was prophesied 700 years before he was born. He was born in the line of David, and the scriptures predicted that. The Old Testament prophets gave, prophets rather gave insight into his life and his mission even before he was born. But what makes Jesus' birth absolutely unique is the fact that Jesus is the only person ever born who is God and man together. He's the God-man. And that's the uniqueness of the supernatural birth of Christ. He's truly God and he's truly man. And, and uh, we need to say it this way and think of it this way. I, I, I jotted this down. Not half God and half man. Fully God and fully man in one person. He's one of a kind. He's unique. He's God in the flesh. And he came here for you and for me. And at this time of the year, we celebrate Christ coming for us. Now we're going to look a little bit into the text that's before us this morning. Matthew 1, Luke 2 tells of the birth of Jesus Christ. I like how it begins in uh, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. In other words, here's how it happened. <laughs> here's what happened. Uh, here's God working in lives and hearts in a beautiful way. The fact that Jesus Christ was born to Mary, even though she did not have sexual relationship, uh, sexual relations with Joseph, was explained by Matthew. This has got to be explained, and we'll talk about this as we move along in here. Although God's actions moving in their lives, their, their individual lives as an engaged couple, was beyond their comprehension that God would choose them to be the ones, primarily Mary, through whom the Savior would be born, beyond human comprehension. But they were willing to follow God's guidance. And we're going to see this as we look into this brief portion of Scripture. They were willing to do the things that God asked them to do. And, you know, I look at this passage and I say, well, I, I called them lessons in, in the little um, insert I put in your bulletin. There are some lessons that we pull out of looking at these actual historical accounts of what happened. And uh, one of the lessons here is they were very willing to uh, follow what the Lord wanted them to do. And so I need to ask myself, 
Am I willing to do what God wants me to do? You know, 2020s, the whole year before us. Am I willing to do in 2020 the things that God asks me to do? How about on a daily basis? He may want me to do certain things, and I, um, I say, well, you know, i got to do this, and i got to do that. But maybe he's prompting me to do something else. Maybe he's prompting me to talk to my neighbor next door. And I say, oh, Lord, you know, i got a lot of things to do. we got to be careful. Uh, I, I ask myself, I see that they were willing to do what God asked them to do, and I need to be willing to do what God wants me to do. Make sense? Yeah. Psalm 32:18. the psalmist said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eyes, with my eye upon you. The Lord says, I love that. Uh, Psalm 32:18. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. Wow, that's wonderful to know that the Lord's guiding us. Remember we say, well, he guided Mary and Joseph. We'll see that clearly. But he guides us too if we're sensitive to his will. And he may ask us to do some very difficult things in our lives. But we need his guidance. By the way, is there a verse of scripture that tells us we need his guidance? Absolutely. It's Jeremiah 10.23 which says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And you see, to someone who doesn't know Christ, that would seem, well, maybe that's not really being accurate. But we who know the Lord as our Savior, we know we need his guidance. And we'll talk about this as we look into this passage of Scripture. We need the guidance of the Lord. Let me read that verse again. It says, Jeremiah 10:23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Wow. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And what the psalm, uh, the prophet rather is saying is, people of Israel, you need God to, do, to guide you. And we do. We really do. We need to listen to the Lord. Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, was pledged to be married to Joseph. And in Jewish marriages at that time, the two families, the family of the bride, the family of the groom, would do things together to negotiate the betrothal, uh, which it was called in that day, the engagement period was called the betrothal. And it also included a bridal price that was to be paid to the father of the bride. The betrothal, and again that term is used in the King James text, was similar to what we would call um, the engagement period today. But please keep this in mind. This is really important. The betrothal period in that day was much more binding than the engagement period is today. Now, it's sad. I've prayed with people over the years where an engagement was broken. And that's a sad thing. It really is. Um, Normally speaking, uh, I guess sometimes one of the two doesn't want the engagement to be broken. And it's, it's sad. However, back in that day, it was called a betrothal, and it was very binding. In fact, the, the man and the woman were even, during their engagement period, were looked at as husband and wife, even though they had not come together, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And that engagement period could only be broken by two things, according to the Old Testament law, uh, death or divorce. Now, during the time of engagement, also, the couple would uh, live separated. 
In fact, I did some reading on Bible background, and they didn't often see each other during that year of engagement. Boy, that's, that's interesting. They live separately. They live with their parents. In fact, sexual relationships were not yet entered into during the engagement period. And, of course, the Bible places great value on sexual abstinence outside of marriage and sexual faithfulness within marriage. Now, here we're taking a subject and we say, wow, you know, this is Sunday morning, you know, it's what, what, heading towards 11.15 or something. Important subject. There's subjects which the Bible discusses, which oftentimes even young people don't hear, and then it's no wonder when they don't go along with that which is said, they do it because they haven't heard. Well, God puts a high premium upon sexual abstinence outside of marriage and sexual faithfulness within marriage. Now, that is not something that many people in our culture want to hear. It's just not. It's just not. But the thing we need to keep in mind is when that is not followed, when there is sexual relations in the engagement period before the marriage, there's forgiveness with the Lord. And we need to be careful that we pray for those who maybe have not been taught the truth of Scripture and who have gone against the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, in fact, one of the things that comes out of this, looking at Mary and Joseph again, is the reminder for us as adults, some of us who say, you know, I'm, boy, I've been married for many years. Listen, the point is, we need to be praying for the younger generation. Do we not? We need to pray for marriages. I don't often hear that in prayer. I'm not saying we don't pray right, by the way. But we need to pray for marriages and pray for homes and pray for engaged couples. That God's blessing would be in their lives and they would have the wisdom that God wants to give to them in their marriage relationship uh, or engagement relationship. Very important that we pray for one another. And uh, there's a lot of truth in the Word of God with regards to... Um, the importance of sexual purity. And uh, the thing we need to remember is that there's forgiveness from the Lord for those who may have not been faithful to God and may have had sexual relationships. There's forgiveness with the Lord. I'm always amazed. <laughs> I, talked, I talked to a man about, oh, 50 years ago. A friend of mine, his dad was sitting in the living room, sitting in his... Um, easy chair. And uh, Ray said, go in and talk to my dad about the Lord. And I said, I'm glad to. And I went in and talked to him and Ray's dad. And <clears throat> I said, boy, I've really enjoyed uh, traveling with your son to a seminary in the car. And uh, it, it's good to meet you, uh, Mr. Harrison. I'm going to say his name. It's with the Lord now. Ray led his dad to Christ. But when I was talking to Mr. Harrison, he said, well, he said, you know, you said Jesus died for our sins. He said, you don't know what I've done, young man. I was younger back then, by the way. <laughs> he said, you don't know what I've done. And I said, you know, according to the word of God, according to the word of God, and I, I've kept this verse in my head for years because I've heard those kind of things before. Matthew 12, 31, Jesus said, all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Christ forgives. Oh, 
please, you have to remember to mention the fact that there has to be repentance. Certainly there needs to be repentance. The word of God is clear on that. Repentance means I change my mind. I say, oh, wait, wait a minute, my sin was wrong before God. But Lord, I know that Jesus died that I might have that sin forgiven. It's awesome. It's awesome what he does. Matthew 12, 31, all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven the sons of men. But blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, that's the part of the verse everybody remembers. Oh, there's an unpardonable sin. Listen, if you knew someone and they're struggling with sin, you can say very clearly based on the word of God, God's willing and able and wants to forgive you of sin. He really does. That's so important to be said, very important. Well, Mary and Joseph, again, they were pledged to each other, uh, but they had not uh, had sexual relationships together. You'll notice in verse 18 it says, before they came together, they did not have sexual relationship. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, Mary probably told Joseph after she spent three months with her cousin, Elizabeth. And then when she came back, it was pretty obvious that she was pregnant, okay? And so um, uh, to remove any doubt that there's purity in Mary's life, the Holy Spirit guides Matthew the writer as well as Luke the writer to say, what happened? The angel said to Mary, you will become the mother of the promised Messiah. And she said, well, how can this be since I am a virgin? Luke 1.34. And the angel's reply to her is this. This is beautiful. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Can you imagine how this Registered in her mind and thinking, the Son of God. I remember Pastor Mercer, former pastor, founding pastor of this church, sat back over there. I remember one time he said, <laughs> I can't forget it. He, he said, you know, it boggles my thinking, this Pastor Mercer, it, it, it just, it challenges my thinking to think that Mary held in her arms God the Son. Why? But he did. She did, didn't didn't she? She held in her arms. God the Son. When she was asked to bear the child, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to the word that you have said. So Mary then trusted the Lord. Now Joseph, of course, being a just man, as the text of Scripture says, and not wanting to expose her to public um, disgrace, Plan to break the engagement quietly. Very interesting. You'll notice the text clearly says, did you see that in verse 19? He was a righteous man. Doesn't mean he was a perfect man. Doesn't say that. It says he was righteous. Well, so are we in Jesus, right? We're, we're righteous. We've accepted Jesus as our Savior. And because we are righteous in his sight, and he looks at you and me as children of God, even though we have sinned, even after being saved, that sin can be forgiven. In fact, Jesus died on the cross to pay for some of our sins. Are you sure? That's good. He paid for all of our sins. This is why you can say to somebody, look, God loves you. You've sinned, yes. Jesus died for your sins, all of them. All of them. 
How awesome to know that. Joseph was a believer who was confident and in tune with God. He's called Mary's husband because the betrothal period, the engagement period at that time, looked at the um, relationship that they have as being binding together. Joseph, of course, he, he just think of how it hit him when he saw that Mary was pregnant and he knew he was not the father. Wow. Remember we said sometimes God asks his people to do some things that are very hard and very difficult. But you see, he was a righteous man and he trusted the Lord. He knew uh, what he should do according to the Old Testament law. And uh, although he was going to do what was right before the Old Testament law, he still loved Mary. And the interesting thing is, as you keep reading the text of Scripture, God helped him to make the best decision, not to break the engagement. James 1, 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You know, boy, don't forget that verse. You know, sometimes you may be at work. You may be discussing things in your family. You may be discussing, discussing something with a friend. And it could be sometimes, this is, this is hard, this is difficult. So what should you do? You should do one of those short prayers where you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. Haven't you ever been on the phone and somebody asks you, hey, would you do this? And, whoa, you don't even have time to really uh, do a lot of praying. And so you say, let me think about this for a minute. Take the time, go to the Lord. If any man lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And it's amazing what the Lord does. He often shows us we have more than one option to what we might do. I'm going to repeat that. He often shows us that there's more than one option, or sometimes more than two options. So we go to the Lord for wisdom. And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, God intervened in Joseph's life. Verse 20, while Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, that takes faith to believe. But we believe what the word of God says. It takes faith to believe that. The interesting thing is Joseph believed it. <laughs> He believed that God was doing a wonderful work. And, um, wow. The uh, conception of the Lord Jesus Christ was obviously a miracle, the supernatural work of God. And uh, another thing, just real quick here. God spoke uh, through an angel to Joseph in a dream. <laughs> wow. Wow. God often used dreams in the Old Testament during various periods of time. I jotted down three major periods of time when God used dreams. Three. One, Genesis 20 to 41. Two, Daniel 1 to 7. Three, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 2. God used dreams. Now, the question you would ask me is, um, does God use dreams today? 
this man who stands here is not going to say he can't use a dream. I can't say that. God may use a dream in your life, but we need to put a caution on it. He may use a dream. And notice I'm going to say he can use a dream. So, see, I'm free now. You don't have to... uh, you don't have to debate with me on your way out the door. <laughs> oh, boy. He can and he may use a dream. However, God primarily wants us to make choices and decisions based upon his word. Right. Where you say, you know, here's what I believe God wants me to do and grab a verse. Here's a verse that says God promises to do this. And I'm going to do make my decision based on what God has said. Because, you know, sometimes we dream when we eat too much pizza the night before. Remember I said he can and he might. But don't rely on that because um, you only you're going to know. It's going to be a very subjective thing. Um, I've talked to people who said, well, you know, boy, I had a dream, and this really changed my life. Just make sure that you believe God was in it. I guess that's what we're saying. 121, real quickly, um, and she uh, brought, bring forth her firstborn son, and um, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is really beautiful. Jesus is the Greek form of the Old Testament Named Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. He saves. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, you've been saved. Saved from what? Saved from an eternal hell and saved from the power of sin in your life. So you as a Christian can say no to sin. There's some things that people who don't know Jesus have a very tough time of saying no to. But you see, God gives you the Holy Spirit when you trust Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and you have a, a wonderful ability to say no to things that you know God doesn't want you to do. Because Jesus saves, you see. And the point of this is not, and the writer Matthew made it clear, he didn't come to save the people of Israel from the Roman Empire. And they wanted that. They wanted uh, the Jewish people to become the head of the nation and not a subjected people. Jesus didn't come to save them from the power of Rome. He came to save them from their sins. And uh, we, uh, of course, we responded to that. We know who Jesus is. And quickly, you'll notice we put some things there uh, on the back of your study sheet. Uh, the name of Jesus is very powerful. It is a name, as Warren Wiersbe said, that was given from heaven. You see, Jesus left the glories of heaven, and came down here and took upon himself flesh and blood. It's only natural that he would get a name given by the Father in heaven. It's a name that is great in history. Uh, Jesus is Joshua of the Old Testament. And Joshua of the Old Testament was the assistant to Moses. And Moses did some awesome things. But you see, Joshua came along, and Joshua's the one who took the people of Israel into the promised land, into the place of blessing. And he's the one who takes us into the place of blessing. That's why Joshua is a beautiful type of Christ. Joshua represents the victory that comes through grace. And I love John 1.17, where it says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ, our awesome Savior. So it's a name that is great in history. It's a name that is glorious in honor. I've told this story before in Flower Mound, next community over, for years. And we live in a community where people really do acknowledge the Lord, many in certain places. And in their um, community meeting, they would open in prayer. Flower Mound. I don't don't know if they still do. They may. They open in prayer. And uh, an older gentleman who uh, served on the... uh, with the uh, councilman over there in Flower Mound. Uh, one time he was praying for the God to bless the Flower Mound community and uh, bless, give them wisdom for their meeting that night. And he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And a man stood up and he said, I'm offended that you mentioned the name of Jesus. And he just quietly said, you know, my friend, he said, according to what God said in his word, my prayer's not going to go up unless it's in the name of Jesus. He's the one that makes it possible for us to bring our request to the Father in heaven. It's a name that will be honored. And the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Philippians chapter 2. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I realize that this, it's called the exclusiveness of Christianity. It's not actually the exclusiveness of Christianity. It's what God says in his word. Jesus is the Savior. Oprah Winfrey doesn't believe it. She says there's many ways to heaven. There's all kinds of religion. But there's only one Savior. There's only one. You cannot go to heaven if you're a Buddhist and believe what Buddhists believe. You can't go. You can't go to heaven if you're a Hindu and believe there are many multiple gods. God said in the Old Testament, there is only one, and I am that one. And that one sent his son to give his life for us. So let me, let me encourage you with this. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. I don't want to visit you in jail sometime. But don't be afraid to use the name Jesus. What a name. We're saved this morning because of Jesus. We know where we're going when we die. Because of Jesus. It's the awesome name of God the Son. And then lastly, very quickly, you'll notice it says again in the text, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, verse 21. And then this prophecy of Christ's coming. So all this, verse 22, was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is God with us. That's the title of Christ, Emmanuel. He is God with us. God with us. I was at the State Fair, Texas State Fair. We have this big God's plan for the ages map up there. And a guy walks along, and he sees the cross. He sees the cross. And he walks along and says, Ah, he says, He said, listen, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. I said, well, my friend, I said, he told us he was in Scripture. I don't believe that, he said. I don't believe that at all. And I said, well, look, go back into the Word of God and see what Christ has said in John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, quickly tying it together, as Warren Wiersbe said, God's with us in our trials. And how we know that, there isn't any one of us in this room who hasn't had a time when we felt we've been squeezed. There's a lot of pressure in our lives. Uh, maybe it's when we're students. Maybe it's when we're in college. Uh, maybe it's when we're on the job. Uh, the Lord says, I'm going to be with you. And you won't see him visibly, but he will be there with you. Isaiah 43, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flame shall not scorch you. You know what story that reminds you of in, in the book of Daniel? Remember that one? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Your shack, my shack, and the other one. You're still listening. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And so they threw them in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and they're doing all right in there. <laughs> oh, man. And the Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute. I see four men in there. And you know who the fourth one was? Our glorious Savior, I believe, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's with us in trials. He's with us as we serve the Lord. Wow. The Apostle Paul was experienced tremendous opposition. And the Lord appeared to Saul and said this, to Paul, rather, the Apostle Paul now. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. He said, keep speaking, Paul, because I'm going to be with you. Keep speaking. Don't be silent, because I will be with you. And, of course, the Lord's with us in times of sorrows, and there is any one of us in this room who hasn't had times of sorrow and care and concern. But you know the verse real well. Let's finish it out with me so we can close in prayer. Here we go. Just this verse. Say it together with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Oh, what an awesome God we have. Let's close in prayer together.